Hey everybody, this is Steve Thomas. Welcome to Budge. Have you ever noticed that leadership has changed over the last several years? Well, the question is why? Why is it so different leading people now than it was years ago? That's exactly what we're going to talk about this month on Budge. A load of information coming your way, so be ready to take notes. I hope you enjoy. All right, we are going to roll through this. The fluffy stuff question. I have really been excited about this, and I, I was, to be honest with you, I was really reluctant to do this session originally. And then the more I started talking with people, the more we kind of got into this budge thing, I thought, you know what, this is probably going to make for a very cool session. So the fluffy stuff question, let me set this up for you uh, to let you kind of give you some context of where this question come from and what it actually means and kind of where we're going to go with it. So I was with a, 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 a team and, and I, I don't want to say I'm not going to give you names and places. So everything you hear me say, I'm going to make up except for the actual question that actually happened. So just to protect, you know, not that they would be embarrassed at all. But anyway, so I was with this team and uh, I'd been there probably three or four times. And uh, about three or four hours at a time. So we were about 12 to 15 hours into our, our, our training and, and, and uh, our, our sessions changing leadership and changing culture and those kinds of things. And I had been warned already by another team within that organization that this team was, um, well, let's just call it a little odd. And, and it was very top down, uh, it was very command and control. There wasn't a lot of progression that was gonna happen. And so this is gonna be a tough thing going in and I knew that. And so this is a third or fourth session and there literally was not any discussion at all. I mean, I would ask a question and there was not very much discussion at all. No questions up to this point. So we'd been talking about leadership and team and culture and kind of what makes that work and what other companies have done in your industry to, you know, make cool things happen and blah, blah, blah. And this guy raises his hand. We're going to call him Dwayne was not his name. We're going to call him Dwayne for the sake of, you know, this conversation and to protect egos. And Dwayne raises his hand and he, I said, Dwayne, you got a question. I was shocked because nobody had questions. And he said, yeah, I got a question. He said, why didn't all this fluffy stuff matter years ago? And I went, you have got to be freaking kidding me. Like we are 15 hours into this process. You have not said a word. And all of a sudden, the first question that comes out of your mouth is, why didn't all this fluffy stuff matter years ago? So the very first thing that even came out of my mouth, and I tried my very best to not show frustration. And I, I think looking back on it, I, I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> I don't know. They would be the ones to ask. And I said, let me ask you this, Dwayne. Did it not matter or did we just not talk about it? And now everybody in the room be kind of kind of nod their head like, yeah, maybe we just didn't talk about it. I said, Dwayne, let me ask you a question. Did we talk about cell phones in 1984? No. Well, why not? because we didn't have them. Exactly. So did this stuff really matter back then? Or did we just simply not talk about it because we didn't have the information that we have now? And I think at that moment, believe it or not, some lights started to go on a little bit. And it's like, okay, yeah, tell me more about that. So that was kind of the tone of the rest 
of the conversation that we had uh, with that team, not just then, but for the two sessions uh, even after that. Well, so the fluffy stuff question, that has continued, this is like two years ago, and it has just continued to um, gnaw at me ever since. And so I have brought this up occasionally to teams that I have been working with, and we have chatted about this. I've even chatted one-on-one, -on -one, possibly. I can't scroll the pages here because I don't want to lose Zoom contact, but <laughs> possibly with some of you. And there are actually people maybe like you, and you kind of wonder, why in the world does leadership look so different now than it did 30, 40, 50 years ago? Why is it that back then we could do X, Y, Z, and today we do X, Y, Z, and it just doesn't work? Why back then could we not do what we do now and it worked? And so it, it, gets, it gets a little confusing as you start walking through it. And so uh, because I don't have a life and because I don't have a job, I make it a habit to track effective teams and I try my best to, uh, to, to track effective leadership. And what I have learned is that there is no science to effective leadership and there is no science to effective teams. It literally becomes an art. And I've said this, some of you heard me say this over and over again, that leadership development is <coughs> heart change. It's heart change. And if the heart doesn't change, you're just simply not gonna be a better leader, period. And if the heart doesn't change, the culture of the organization is not going to change. And so we can try all the tips and techniques we want to try, and, 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 and we can lay out all the, the, the effective ways to do this and effective ways to do that we want to. But the truth is, if the individual heart doesn't change, eventually the culture is not going to change. And, and we could flip that the other way and say the culture is what it is because of the heart of the individual. So that brings me to this. I'm not so sure that this quote unquote fluffy stuff didn't matter. I think this stuff has always mattered. I just don't think we had a great way of explaining it back then. I don't think we had a great way of figuring it out back then because now we have way more information, as you can guess. We have way more technology. We have way more research. We have more information in our hands right now to help us be better people, better leaders, better teams, better cultures than we have ever before. So why didn't this fluffy stuff matter years ago? Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of fluffy stuff. What do you think of when you think of fluffy stuff? I, it just so happens that I have right here in front of me the top 10 things that I think of when I think of fluffy stuff. So tell me if you think about any of these things. Number 10, biscuits. I think of biscuits when I think of fluffy stuff. I love fluffy biscuits. Number nine, pancakes and waffles. I love fluffy pancakes. I love fluffy waffles. Um, number eight, pillows. I like fluffy pillows. I gotta have it because you know the way my head lays and that kind of thing. Uh, number seven, Donald Trump. I think about Donald Trump when I think of fluffy, don't you? Doesn't, he, doesn't that kind of ring a bell of fluffy, you know, for most most people? Yeah, okay, okay, maybe not. Uh, number six, clouds. I think of fluffy clouds. I like fluffy clouds. Uh, number five, deep powder snow. I love deep powder snow. I haven't been skiing in years. I am just dying to get back out to Colorado to do some real skiing, but I love deep powder snow. 
Uh, number four, Gabriel Iglesias. Do you know who Gabriel Iglesias is? His, his nickname is Fluffy, and he's a great comedian. And I think of Gabriel Iglesias when I think of, uh, of, of uh, uh, Fluffy. Not until just recently, as I'm researching Fluffy, have I thought about this, but number three, the three-headed dog from Harry Potter. Now, I've not seen any Harry Potter at all. And after seeing a picture of the three-headed dog, I've decided I will not be watching Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter. So, but the three-headed dog now, I just, I can't get it out of my mind. I have nightmares about three-headed dogs. Uh, number two, cotton candy. There actually is a brand of cotton candy called Fluffy Stuff. I was at Walmart, couldn't find it. Hopefully I'll find it soon. And number one thing I think about when I think of Fluffy Stuff, I think of my hair in high school because I graduated high school with an Afro. So what do you think of when you think of fluffy stuff? So there you go. You've got the 10 things right there in front of you. Pick it out. Go ahead. This is the poll. Punch your button. What do you think about when you think of fluffy stuff? What comes to mind? Let's see what happens here. And probably my hair in high school is not going to be the answer for you. What do you think about when you think about fluffy stuff? We'll go just a little bit longer here. For those of you who are listening, we are actually doing a poll right now. It's on Zoom. <laughs> okay, we got 78% voted, 80%. Some of you really trying to make your decision. That's interesting. Maybe you're making it more complicated than what it is. 83%, 85% have voted now. We're almost there. And, and we're there, we're gonna end the poll and I'm gonna share the results with you now. Clouds, clouds took the number one. We think of the clouds, 29% said clouds, 22% said pillows, 22% said deep powder. Uh, one of you said Donald Trump, bless your heart for that. And two of you said my hair in high school. I don't know if I knew you in high school. No one said Harry Potter, three headed dog. So what do you think of when you think of fluffy stuff? All right, I got three reasons. Now, as you might guess, this, this call is gonna turn into a two-parter. So next month on March 18th, we're gonna continue this conversation because as I started putting stuff together for this, I realized there's way too much information for one budge episode. So the next budge episode, we're gonna jump into this and I'm gonna share with you today three things of why I believe this fluffy stuff didn't matter years ago. And today it matters more. And then I'm gonna end the call today with the fourth one. And, um, and that's where we're gonna pick up in, in March. So why did not this fluffy stuff matter years ago? Number one, we know more now than we did years ago. I already said it, so I'm gonna build on it. We know more now than we did years ago. In the 1990s, Bill Clinton gave more money to brain research than it ever before in history. And yes, I said Bill Clinton. And yes, I said brain research. And you can make your own jokes later on. He gave more money to brain research any other time. Now, if you know anything all about research to this magnitude, what happens is that once people start doing the research, it takes about 15 to 20 years to really hit the surface. Maybe Sometimes 10, just depending on what it is. But it takes a while for the research and the findings and that kind of thing to really hit the surface. Well, as they started to study the brain, as they started to study neurology a little bit more, they found some very interesting things 
about how people are wired neurologically. And we have not known this before. I think there were, there were people that had, had, had guessed. There were people that had assumed. There were people that had speculated. And, and brain research goes back years and years and years. In fact, some of the earliest brain research I found was from the 1930s. They didn't have the information. They didn't have the technology. Um, there, there, was, there was an fMRI that came out that now not only can they scan the brain, but they can actually read activity in the brain to kind of figure out what's going on when certain things happen. And so with that information now, all this stuff begin to emerge about what it is that makes someone respond, what makes someone think. So we heard this for years, you know, fear is a great motivator. You get some of your old line guys and your old school thinking, fear is a great motivator. Her football coach said, one, fear is a great motivator. Well, people live by that and believe that for years. So turns out, what does fear actually motivate you to do? Fear motivates you to fight. Fear motivates you to just freeze. Or fear motivates you to, to flee. So when you hit that fear mode, you are not the best version of yourself. And literally no one functions at a high level when they are in ongoing fear all the time. We didn't know that. We thought fear was a great motivator. Turns out fear is not a great motivator. It'll cause you to do things you don't normally do. So we begin to study the brain a little bit. We found out certain um, parts of the brain light up when certain things happen. And, and I'm just gonna throw some things out at you here and, and not elaborate on it today because this is not the time and place, but just to kind of give you an idea that we have found that, they, and they knew this before, but they started studying even closer, that in your limbic system of your brain, there lies a piece of your brain called the amygdala. It's a small almond shape. In fact, amygdala actually comes from the Latin word almond. It's a small almond size, uh, almond shaped piece of your brain that controls the fear and the emotion center of your, of your limbic system. Now, understand this. I am not a neurologist and I'm giving you layman's simplistic terms. For some of you, maybe overly simplistic, but let's face it. None of us on here are probably brain researchers anyway, so it, it, it's okay. But there's this amygdala that lies in your brain. Then you have in the in your forehead part of your brain here, what's called the prefrontal cortex. Now that kind of stuff we knew all along. What we didn't understand until this magnetic resonance imaging began to take place and they begin to study certain parts of the brain and how they light up is that when there's an amygdala hijack, in other words, when fear happens, when anger happens, when any kind of emotion overrides that amygdala, it flares and blocks what's getting to the prefrontal cortex of the brain. And this is why sometimes, you know, when we find it necessary to berate or yell uh, or, or um, maybe throw a little bit of shame somebody's way, we wonder why they don't get better. Well, before, when this fluffy stuff didn't matter, we just thought they were a big sissy. They couldn't handle it. <laughs> now we find out that literally neurologically they are shutting down and they're not thinking and they're not creating and they're not innovating quite the way that they need to. And so that is a new finding. When I say new, I'm talking in the last 25 years, what we didn't know before. There's a piece of your brain called the dorsal angulate and dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. And through studies and research, they have found that when you experience physical pain, that part of your brain lights up. 
and it sends messages to the rest of your body to do something about that physical pain. And so when you experience physical pain, when that DACC lights up, then your, your whole body reacts. Well, what they found through different experiments, and you can Google this and you can read about this in certain, uh, in, in certain sites and certain reports, is that what they found is that the same part of your brain lights up when you experience social rejection. That when you are in a team and you don't feel like you belong, that DACC lights up and sends the same signals to your body as if it were experiencing physical pain. Now, trust me, we got a lot of tough guys on this call today. I, I, I know who you are, you know who you are. And yes, there are certain things we can do through pain. And I don't care how big and tough you are or how big and tough you think you are. My guess is when you experience pain over and over and over again, you are not the best version of yourself and you are not in a position and in a situation to think and innovate and create and do these things that's probably expected of you on the job. And so when that DACC lights up, because you say now, why? Why does that happen? Well, back in tribal days, if you are excommunicated from a team, you, you, you died. That was it. And so think about caveman days. This is why your brain functions this way, because now you did everything you could to belong. And if you didn't and they kicked you out of the tribe, you could not make it out on your own. That's the very reason that that thing lights up and sends those signals like, okay, there may be trouble going on. I may not belong here. I got to do something now to connect and to be part of, and to be part of the team. So all these, we found out the hippocampus, the part of your brain that stores your memory, that there are certain unconscious messages that your hippocampus will send to your, to your, uh, to your prefrontal cortex, that even when you're not aware, you are remembering things that happen way back when. Let's say, for example, somewhere in your lifetime, you had a manager that was just an idiot. And I know that probably didn't happen for any of you, but let's just say, for example, hypothetically speaking, you had a manager somewhere that was just, they shamed, they blamed, they yelled a lot, they screamed a lot, they complained a lot, and just that was not the best experience for you. Well, years go by and you kind of forget about that and you shove that in the past because you've had some other good experiences. And all of a sudden somebody walks in and they go, hey, how you doing? It's good to have you here for a new job. By the way, I'm your new manager. Well, without you knowing it, what happens is just like that, your hippocampus throw files through all the files of managers and pulls out that one, that guy was an idiot to you. And immediately you begin to react and you begin to respond to those things that you didn't even know existed, but they do because they're stored somewhere in your memories. Why didn't all this fluffy stuff matter years ago? We didn't know all that. We begin to put all this together. And when we have that information as leaders, in my mind, we are responsible now to respond and act with that, with that information, we all probably everybody on the call you've heard, you've heard, uh, you've heard talk about you know the the chemicals in your brain, the dopamine, the serotonin, the oxy the oxytocin, and the endorphins that that run through your system constantly. Uh, you've probably heard of cortisol, where cortisol is a healthy, a healthy dose of cortisol will actually save your life and it's good for you, but unhealthy doses of cortisol can actually kill you. And what cortisol is that, it, 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 it's that stress indicator, it's that stress hormone, and that it's that stress chemical that will alert you to something that's just simply not right. And when that is flooded in your system, 
you're just simply not the best version of yourself. And I know I'm probably not explaining, I'm not taking the time to explain this again in specific neurological terms. I'm kind of giving you an overview and I'm throwing out some terms to you. You can Google this, you can read this. Um, there are tons of information out there, tons of articles and books and that kind of thing that you even TED Talks that you can watch on this to get this information. We did not have that information years ago. Today, old ideas are being challenged and old ideas are being shaken. Leadership in the day wasn't an art. It wasn't a thing. There were, it, was, it was just a mode of managing people. And today, leadership has become a thing. It has become somewhat, uh, somewhat of an art. It has become something that people actually seek and some, that people actually uh, will try to actually improve in. And I'm not so sure that happened back in the day. And as I begin to research how many books now have been written on leadership compared to 1960s, thousands more thousands more articles, thousands more talks, all these kinds of things. That leadership is a thing. It just wasn't simply a thing back then. There's more talk today and more information about the generations and how the generations respond. Do you remember this? Back in the day, you know, the younger generation was brats. So we would categorize, we would label, we would put them up and then that was it. We're just done with them. Yeah. When they grow up, we'll deal with them. And now you're starting to learn that, you know what, we really can't, we can't even function without the younger generations. And I hear this constantly. Why are the millennials this? And why are the millennials that? And then, you know, 10, 15 years ago is why is Gen X this? And why is Gen X that? And, you know, 10 more years is going to be, why is whoever they are now, Gen Z or whoever they're going to be, why are they this? And why are they that? You know, Socrates made a statement one time. He said, what's wrong with this generation today is they have no respect for authority. They expect everything to happen right now. And he went on and on and on. And he described, Socrates described that generation then the same way we describe younger generations now. We have more information about that. There's been books written and studies done and all this information. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, leaders, is that when you have the information, use it. You're accountable to it. It's going to help you be a way better person, way better leader. When you ignore it, I'm going to be straight up. You're just going to look like a fool because this information is there and somehow, some way we need to use it. So one reason, Dwayne, that this fluffy stuff didn't matter years ago is that we know more now than we did years ago. Second reason, work means more now. Work is different now. I get the idea and I, I, I was probably alive back in the day, you know, that when uh, that that in the day that Dwayne was talking about, but I certainly wasn't an adult and I certainly wasn't in the working mode back then. But my guess is that back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe 70s, possibly even into the 80s, that work looked different in the sense that a lot of people want to work more in survival mode than they do now. Now, we just had two budge episodes, and if you want those, you can, you can find those, and I'll tell you in a little bit how to find those. We just did two budge episodes on that survival mode. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the survival mode, but here's what I will tell you, is that when you are in survival mode, you simply are not the best version of yourself. 
And when you lead people from a survival mindset, you are not going to create the culture in which people can come to work and be the best version of themselves. And so there were, when you're in survival mode, I'm quite sure that there were bad, I'm sorry, that there were good people that would endure and let bad things happen just to survive. There was a day we didn't question authority. There was a day we didn't question leaders. There was a day we accepted it and went on. And I know some of you are going, yeah, it's exactly what should happen now. I'm not so sure you want that happening now. So again, another story, another conversation for another time. But I'm really not sure that once you get really down deep with that statement, that that's exactly what you want to happen. But there was a day that good people just wanted to survive so they would even let bad things happen. And that happened all the time in the workplace. Think about this. The boomers and even some of the Xers were raised by people who experienced the Great Depression. And so when you experience the Great Depression, and we have not faced anything like that, when you experience that, you are going to lead and you're going to work and you're going to raise children from a whole different perspective than you are now. So, Dwayne, that fluffy stuff mattered years ago because more people were in a survival mindset than they are today. Work looks different. It takes on a whole new meaning today. Work is not any longer just about, quote unquote, earning a living or making ends meet. We, just, we talked about that in the October session of Bud. So again, if you wanna go back and look at that. If you're in that mindset, you're not experiencing life to the fullest extent. And one of my passions is to help people, show people and help people live life full. How can you do that? You're not going to live life full when you're in a survival mindset. So work looks different now. Work means something different now. Now, let me give an example of this. And I'm going to fly through these. And don't try to write these down because these are actually, I'll post these uh, later, later this weekend or early next week, I'm going to post these so you can get these. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you, except for a couple of them, what companies these come from. But here's what I'll tell you. These mission statements, these purpose statements come from manufacturing and retail. Two industries that do not have a, uh, a strong reputation for employee engagement. So in fact, I will tell you in the manufacturing world, employee engagement is about 8% behind the rest of the world. And again, you can check me out on that. You can Google that. But here are some of the mission statements. Here's why some of these companies say that they exist uh, in the real world now. We provide work environments where our employees can meet their potential and thrive in an atmosphere of excellence. That didn't happen in the 50s and the 60s. To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and to make a difference. Here's another one, to enable economic growth through infrastructure and energy development, to provide solutions, listen, to provide solutions and support communities and protect the planet. These people go to work to do that instead of just surviving or earning a living, to improve every life through innovative giving in education, community, and the environment. Are you hearing this? We don't show up just to get crap done and to make our money and go home. We show up to improve every life through innovative giving, education, community, and the environment. Um, I will tell you this, this is Ann Taylor, retail, Ann Taylor, to inspire and connect with women to put their best selves forward every day. 
Now, now, in case you're wondering, I do not wear Ann Taylor. But I want to tell you what, I love that mission statement. Now, here's what, here's what the cynic says. The cynic goes, yeah, whatever. They're still in it to make money. Okay, so if in your cynical, immature little world, you want to live in that place, go ahead. But I will tell you, in living in that place, you are not going to experience full, and nor are you going to lead people to a place of full. So there has to be more than just that. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that work back then, quote unquote, did not look that way. Here's one of my favorites, uh, two of my favorites, Patagonia. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. My son loves Patagonia and he loves it for that very reason. And uh, well, I'm sure there are other reasons as well, but that's what caught his attention originally. Now he just knows they make some pretty cool clothes. This is my favorite, Ikea. Some of you live in places once you have Ikea and probably most of us on this call do not. We have to travel to go to Ikea. And what I have learned is that it's a day, man. If you wanna, like it's an Ikea experience. You no longer say where I live. I live in Springfield, Illinois. You don't say, yeah, I'm going to St. Louis. You say, I'm going to Ikea. And oh, by the way, we're gonna be in St. Louis and eat this and eat that or whatever. Here's Ikea's mission statement to create a better everyday life for the many people. To create a better everyday life for the people. Barry Weimiller, manufacturing, huge manufacturing company in, uh, in uh, headquartered in St. Louis, but they're, they're, they're national and they're global. Their general theme for the entire manufacturing company is this, everybody matters. In fact, you can get uh, Bob Chapman's book and read it on everybody matters. That's their general theme. Here's what I want to tell you. That, as I see it, and as I've studied this, was not the mode of operation for most leaders and most organizations back in the day, Dwayne. So this is one reason why this fluffy stuff, quote unquote, didn't matter years ago. Work looks different now than it did years ago. Here's number three. We have more diversity, we have more complexity, and we have more change now than it ever before. If you think back, if you think back to um, the early days, whatever, whatever the early days are for you. We have people, we have people on this call of all ages. Trust me, I see you, and a lot of you I know. We have uh, we have young people, and we have those who are just uh, not quite so young, and then we have those of you who are caught in the middle. Uh, bless your hearts for being caught in the middle. Can't decide which way you're going to go. So, and then you have people like me who are the older but yet of the maturity level of a 21 year old. So anyway, that's, that's why this stuff resonates with me so much, I think is um, for that very reason. We have more diversity, we have more complexity, we have more change now. Change today comes at a much more rapid pace. Not so sure back in the day that change came at a rapid pace. You know what was really important back in the day? And again, think about this as they walk through the Great Depression and the ripple effect of that that lasted for years and years and years. What mattered to them was certainty 
What mattered to them was stability. And today we know, especially given the year we just had last year, that uncertainty and instability comes quickly. And we have to lead differently now when instability and uncertainty is part of the world. And it just is. The world changes faster now. Technology changes faster now. I remember, I, I shared this story a few times. Some of you probably heard me share this. I, I begged my mom for eight track tapes. She would not let me buy eight track tapes. I said, mom, all the cool people have eight track tapes. Could not get it. She said, you're gonna get cassettes. Oh, are you kidding me? Like cassettes are for dorky old people. I don't want cassettes. My mom and dad had cassettes. That was just the dorkiest thing ever. Well, long story short, I wound up getting cassettes and had stacks of them. Later CDs came out. I had a guy one time that I was pretty close with. He bought me my first CD player. It was like 1989. I got my first Discman for my 30th birthday in 1992. I didn't even own CDs. Guy bought me a disc player. I took it home, put it. It was a component disc player. For those old people, you know what components are. So it was a component disc player. Took it home. Now I had to go buy a CD. So I went and bought a David Sanborn CD. It's a jazz CD. I'm telling you, the sound was amazing. And I could go from song to song like that. No rewind or fast forward anymore. Quickly, I'm getting song. And the clarity, I went, all right, I'm doing it. And I got stacks and stacks of CDs. Later on, a friend of mine had this iPod shuffle that was as big as a stinking uh, piece of gum. And what is that? He said, it's an iPod shuffle. I said, what is it? He said, it's got 250 songs on it. I said, that's impossible. I listened to it, I gotta have an iPod shuffle. I went from eight tracks to MP3s in a matter of, are you seeing this? Technology changes, things change. And if we stay, Dwayne, leading in an eight track world, we are not gonna experience the beauty of an MP3 world. And guess what? You and your leadership will be obsolete. So things change quickly now. And if we don't change, and understand what's changing and understand new generations and understand personality development and all this other kind of stuff, we are gonna do damage. And we have more diversity, we have more complexity and we have more change now than ever before. There are more choices for people. It was a thing back then to work one job for a long, long time because there weren't all these choices. And now you've got all these choices and you can get on indeed.com, you can find a job today and put your name out there, that just was not possible back then. So pretty much leaders could do whatever they wanted to do because you're not gonna leave loyalty and stability. You're gonna stay right here no matter what happens. I'm not telling you to thought this stuff intentionally, but running in the background, you gotta know that if people don't wanna change anything, they're gonna stay right here. Well, now all of a sudden, people start looking for other jobs to suit their own personal needs. There are a lot of choices. Do you, Pringles, Pringles was invented in 1968. There were four different kinds of Pringles. Four different kinds of Pringles. Do you know how many Pringles there are now? 34 different kinds of Pringles on the market. And there have been over the years, over 100 different kinds of Pringles. In 1968, you would have lost your mind in the potato chip aisle trying to pick out what you wanted. Listen, you only had two choices for the most part. You're going to get plain or you're going to get barbecue. Pick it up and go home. That's it. And then you might occasionally want the ripples. That was a big deal. Cereal. There are 
10 or 12 different kinds of Special K. I eat Special K fruit and yogurt. It is by far my all-time favorite cereal ever. It wasn't a thing back then. If you wanted Special K, you had to dump pounds of sugar on it just to make it taste like anything. There are all kinds of choices now, man. And the same thing happens. That's just a microcosm of a much bigger picture of all the choices in our world. And jobs and organizations play into that. That no longer do you have to stay where you are and experience leadership like you've experienced before. Here's another thing. Good enough in the same world, good enough is no longer good enough. Where back in the day, good enough used to be good enough. You know why it became a deal? This is a little evolution of leadership is back in the day, innovation and creativity really was not a thing like it is now. And so back in the 60s and the 70s, especially in the 70s, towards the late 70s, man, the auto industry, the Japan, the Japanese auto industry was kind of kicking our butts in terms of creative and innovation. And if you look at what they were putting out, like the Celica and, and, and some of you remember the Datsun, which became Nissan, the Datsun 280ZX, which was an incredible looking car. There were all these cars you let you go. Those things are really, really cool cars. At the same time, we are making the Granada. Now, I, no offense to you if you have a Granada or had a Granada, but let's face it, it's not an eye-catching car. In fact, some of you right now, if not all of you are at computers, Google and Google image of a 1975 Granada. You're going to see what I'm talking about. While you're at it, why don't you try late 70s Matador, Gremlin, Pacer, Pinto. Are you kidding me? Who is sitting in Detroit thinking these are great ideas for cars? I don't know. And all the time. So now they go, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're losing it here. We're losing it in terms of creativity and innovation. I can see some of you right now, you're checking out a Granada. You know who's checking it out? The young people. The old people aren't. The old people are going like, yeah, it was an ugly car. <laughs> the, young people, the young people are checking it out. I get it. Who? Listen, so we said, all right, we got to create. So now, how do you take a top-down command and control, positional-based leadership and, 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 and culture and expect people now to automatically begin to create and innovate? It's not going to happen. Because when your leadership style is more directive, and more commanding, you're telling people what to think and you're telling people what to do. You are not at all creating a condition in which they can come up with ideas and solutions on their own. Well, guess what? That nearly hurt us. And so now leadership began to shift in the 80s and people begin to set back, okay, we have somehow, we got to get people's ideas. We got to set people free to innovate. We got to set people free to create and to come up with ideas uh, on their own. And, and come up with solutions on their own. And so GM actually began to adopt some of Toyota's principles in their organizations across the country, and it began to change the way that they operate. And, and I'm just telling you, it's just the evolution of leadership, Dwayne, that has caused us to think differently now than we ever have before. What do we wanna cultivate in our organizations? What do you wanna cultivate um, you know, in, in, your, in your leadership. So with this rapid change, we started giving more freedom. We started giving more autonomy for people to make choices. And now they can think on their own. 
and we begin to make that shift from a very top-down positional-based command and control leadership to more of a flat organizational structure in which we are going to do this together. I am not going to be that person who directs you. And incidentally, at the same time, that's where the generations were heading. Now, here's a brief, small picture of this as well. If, if you're on this call and you are 45 and older, my guess is when it came time for family vacation, your mom and dad told you where you're going to go for family vacation. And they said, hey, we're going to family. And, and my guess is for a lot of you, it was the same place year after year after year. Well, all of a sudden, mom and dads begin to ask kids, hey, where would you like to go on family vacation this year? And so for some of you on this call, if you're like 45 or under, or, or you know, somewhere in that world, for mom and dad to tell you where you're going is like, no, they didn't really do that. They asked us, and maybe you even had a family votes on where you're gonna go. That began to happen with parenting. You, know, you see what I'm saying? And it began to flatten the whole parental authoritative thing where now we are gonna make this decision together. Now that scares the crap out of some people who say, well, if I do that, I'm gonna lose all authority. If you are building your influence, you are not gonna lose your authority. If you are focusing on building connection, if you're focusing on treating people as people, if you are focusing on creating an environment in which people can come to work and be the best for yourselves, you are not going to lose your authority. And incidentally, for those of you who want to empower your teams, the very definition of empower is to give authority away. You don't lose your authority when you do that. You actually gain authority and your influence and your credibility begins to go through the roof. So, Dwayne, that's what I have to tell you. This is why that fluffy stuff probably didn't matter years ago. Did it not matter? Or did we just not talk about it? My guess is we just simply did not talk about it. Why? Well, again, number one, we know more now than we did years ago. We have much more information at our disposal now. Number two, work means something different now than it did then. We are no longer, for the most part, most of us are no longer in that survival mode. And if you are, then we need to look for ways to climb out of that. And the third thing is that leadership had to change because there was more diversity, there's more complexity, and there's more change now than it ever before. Now, here's number four, and I'm not going to elaborate on this. This is going to set up the next time. Number four, I believe in the last 100 years, we have done a phenomenal job in our workplaces of dehumanizing the workplace. I don't think we've done it on purpose, but I think over the years, we have dehumanized the workplace. So for me, number four is this. We have started humanizing people again. And that's where I want to pick up in March. In March, I want to talk about how now do you actually lead during these fluffy times? That's what I want to talk about in March. But before I do, I got another poll for you. And I'm just curious, do you want to lead now the way you were led. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Do you want to lead the way that you were led? And that's where I want to pick up 
next time on Budge. Thank you.